Welcome to the BizDoc Podcast. Another week, a lot of things going on. Um, I missed you. You know, I love the comments. I love connecting with you. I love talking all this stuff that matters for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, leaders everywhere as we build business and navigate this thing called bumpy life in 2023. What a wild week, but guess what? No banks died on the weekend, but there's a lot of warning signs that banking stole going to be a hassle, and we got some lessons here for entrepreneurs right off the top. I am here, as usual, with Kellyanne, the Swiss Army Knife, pulling charge, running clips, and doing all this stuff while the BizDoc talks. Uh, good morning, Kellyanne. Good morning. How was your Easter? Uh, Easter was good. Had had mom, got to hang with mom and everything, and then had a nice dinner with her. That's always good. 85-year-old mom. Hello, mom. one eel babbly. Yep, that's mom's <laughs> name. So everybody's going to send me questions about Where's that from? Uh, <laughs> long story. We'll tell you sometime. Um, how was your weekend? It was good. I went to church, um, had a nice dinner with my family. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited for today and for today's guest. Yeah, so we had Easter yesterday, which is one part of the Bible. And then, my goodness, today, we're sitting here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You see this rain? Oh, my God. All the streets are flooded. It's like out of nowhere. It was a beautiful, beautiful Easter day, beautiful April weekend showers. and everything. And today, it's like we're waiting for Noah. You know, it's like... <laughs> it's definitely Noah's Ark You know, it's there. like, a, you know, a couple of drafts walking down Federal Highway saying, <laughs> hey, is, is there a boat nearby? Yeah, April like, showers are definitely here. Exactly. Well, today I'm really excited. We got some very interesting stories with some great learnings that are going to be good for all of us. We also have Merrily Kick, the founder and CEO of Southern Champion. Southern Champion is a company that she has built, and it is the maker of buzz balls. We got them over here. Take a quick look. Have you seen these little guys in the in the stores? Hello, hello. Do we have me? These little guys right here? Yep. And you'll see those everywhere. Well, she makes those and more, and she's coming on here at the top of the hour. We're going to talk about her wonderful female CEO, and as the father of two girls. I hope we get to a point where we don't have to say female CEOs as if it's like different. We just say great CEOs. Amerily Kick is a great CEO, great founder, doing a lot of damage in a male-dominated industry, and we're going to get to that and give her a bunch of lessons because she's an entrepreneur like so many of you. Uh, let's get right off, the, right off the top here with some interesting bits. You know what? Over the week, I was looking at uh, banking and venture capital. So I wanted to see what's the fallout, how easy is it going to be for small businesses to get loans, to get financing, to go to venture. What is all that looking like right now? And I couldn't believe it, but commercial bank lending on a rolling averages dropped by $105 billion in the last two weeks of March versus four weeks prior. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? You know, well, it's the most, it's the greatest drop in terms of dollars being lended out by all banks. You got the big four, which of course is Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fraudgo. You know, you got the big four. And then you've got all the rest of the regional banks and Silicon Valley Bank. And a lot of banks were in the middle of all that. You saw PNC Bank, you know, big banks there. You take all of that and all of a sudden the lending, the amount of lending they're doing drops. Well, why? Well, number one, regulations, number one, uncertainty in the market, and number three, risk. They're seeing risk downstream. So forget what you hear from politicians saying life is good, life is bad, life is not so, eh, it's, 
little of everything, it's okay, it's neutral. Forget that, when the banks are looking forward, just like when insurance companies start underwriting looking forward, and they say we're doing this, they see risk. So step away from the headlines and say to yourself, do I have what I need? Because what has happened here is mid-stage businesses are being pinched the most because they usually have the lower asset base that they can offer some collateral. The smallest businesses, they end up in a thing where they have to do PGs. And what a PG is, is a personal guarantee which says, hey Tom, you've got a business there, maybe we're willing to loan you 100 grand. And that would be like a big fully outfitted truck perhaps. You know, it could easily be 100 grand if you're in construction and you have all these things and it's a big 2500 series, 250 series truck, crew cab, and all the things that you need on that, that truck can easily come to 100 grand. So vehicle loans at 100 grand, but if you want more than that, they'll say, how much equity is in your house? Uh, do you have a boat that's paid for? Yeah, I got a half a million dollar boat. It says, okay, well they want a PG, personal guarantee. So that's the small businesses. So the PGs are kicking in sooner from what I could read just in the last couple of weeks. And businesses that are at the banks right now are facing pinches. Well, we'll only loan you this much and this is the rate, not this rate. So the low rates of a year ago is over. So what's very interesting is said this is the most in federal, biggest drop in Federal Reserve history dating back to the origin of this particular tracking metric, which was in 1973. And in 1973, what happened in 1973? The Vietnam War wasn't fully, wasn't fully reconciled yet. Number one. Number two, JFK had barely been 10 years since the assassination of JFK. You know, we lost Martin Luther King five years prior. So we're talking, this goes back a ways into history. We're talking 50 years or more, and this is the biggest drop in 50 years, which shows you the significance of it. So what's in it for you and me? Remember I cautioned you, uh, and all small businesses uh, a couple weeks ago talked about, hey, to protect yourself, always have an account with maybe a big four, and then account with your regional bank. If you're using with a regional bank, <clears throat> and I'm gonna give a couple names out because I know them in, in Texas. <clears throat> I came from Dallas and I know they were good. One was Veritex Bank. I know the guys out there that used to do business loans, very easy to deal with, but they're a regional bank, you know, a very regional bank, uh, and banks like that, that have that opportunity. I said, buffer your risk you know, mitigate your risk, put them both side by side. And the one thing you can do is you can have a big bank you deal with, and then you could have a regional bank. And you get a lot of services from your regional bank and hope that they don't start sniffling and catch cold the way Silicon Valley Bank did, and then go over the waterfall with your regional bank where you can get a lot more services. And then your big bank, maybe put your other checking account there and put your, um, your rent account, just pay rent out of that. But that way you've got two accounts, so if you have to jump one to another to mitigate banking risk, you could do it. Well, guess what? If you have two relationships like that, often you can go and you can get your, um, your mitigate your, not only your banking risk, but your, your loan risk. And so what's very interesting here is that this gives you the opportunity to, um, to follow um, your own momentum of your business, number one, and number two, have things in place that are gonna help you, you know, when the chips are down and when something happens. And so 
Quality wins. Running a quality business wins. Showing that you are very efficient with your operating expenses wins. Showing that you are focused on net cash burn if you're early stage, that wins. So that's what's going on in bank financing. And it's hard to tell whether the banks are being pinched by the Fed so they can't get as much money, or is it the banks increasing their, their credit? Well, I've seen both. The banks are, are doing tightenings of credit, but the tightenings of credit can also be if they can't get access to full lines. So if they can get access to less capital, they reduce the, um, uh, they tighten up things on credit so that only the best of their customers, the strongest credit, is able to get it. So that's what's going on in banking. There's a lot more we could dive in on, but it's just kind of a little check engine light and make sure that if you need to get loans from your bank, you walk in and you understand how to mitigate and position yourself accordingly. Then I decided to go look at the other end. Well, let's go look at VC funding. Well, guess what? <clears throat> Global venture capital funding in Q1, it slipped to $76 billion. That is a 53% decline year over year from the $162 billion that was invested in 22. So did I mention that it's a tighter environment for businesses trying to get financing? Yeah, I did. And again, quality is going to win. The great companies are still going to get their venture capital. No problem whatsoever. The great companies. The weaker businesses that maybe they would have got maybe a, a very small Series A, find a venture capitalist that's going to do a little bit of a, a, a test. Yeah, maybe... Maybe that's going to be tougher, but the great companies are still going to be in line. They're still going to be getting all the things um, that they need, whereas the, the riskier companies or the ones that are less established are going to have issues. But you know what? So it's going to be harder for earlier stage startups, but the more established companies that are hitting their marks, getting their traction, they're still going to get it. But what it says is the story may sound familiar for the established organizations that are going to the banks and the early stage company that are going back for more venture capital in the natural round by round growth from, from seed to series A to series B, where you have an idea, you put your skin in the game, some of your money, you get seed capital from others, you get a series A when you get traction on first customers, get a series B where you're starting to reduce the cash burn, you can almost see a, a point where you're actually going to be cash flow neutral. That's a natural stepping stone. Well, guess what? The better companies are, are get access to it because VC funding is down 53% in total dollars year over year. So there you have it. Again, quality wins, efficient cash burn wins. If that's a familiar story, guess what? Good, well-run businesses are going to be in good positions to get cash. So I thought that was um, very interesting seeing all that over the weekend. So before I was searching for Easter eggs with my kids, you know, I was actually out there searching for, you know, answers to the financing stories that so many people are asking about. So then what, something else caught my eye, and it was actually good. It had to do with financing as well. And that was, we've been hearing a lot about China and Taiwan. And... Uh, there's a couple charts that are out there that shows you just how much of the global semiconductor market is held 
by Taiwan, and there's one very large company out there, Taiwan Semiconductor Company. And it is really stark when you see that some 75% of the world's semiconductors are coming out of Taiwan, which means people are asking, well, China trying to get Taiwan back, isn't that they think it's their historical uh, part of their land is that island, Taiwan, and Chiang Kai-shek who went there, all this political stuff that happened and he was banished. And isn't this like a historical governance and, you know, sovereign land question? Well, it may be, but the other side of it is it, it may be showing that I think China wants market share of semiconductors. And if you think it's a problem with TikTok where they through software, they can see what's going on on other places of your phone. And we just had big congressional hearings about that two weeks ago. And we saw three weeks ago, and we saw the CEO of TikTok basically telling stories to Congress. And none of them, Democrats, Republicans, independent, none of them are buying it. If you think that's a problem with getting content from other places on your phone with TikTok, imagine what it is if China takes Taiwan and controls 70% of the world's semiconductors. Do you think there's going to be spyware or the opportunity for problems with that? You bet. But guess what is happening? I thought it was very interesting. Japan announced that they are making an 80% increase year over year in chip-making infrastructure. In other words, everybody is saying, whoa, we need to be moving to a different um, level of investment so that we can be a player. At the same time, the United States says they're making a 24% increase. And we've heard stories about chip factories going to be built here in the United States. And then you also have um, South Korea says they're going to make a 41% increase in their investment in chip making. So these are called FABs, F-A-B. And the chip fabs is fabrication plants. So this is where the West is saying, you know what? Taiwan is our friend. There's a great companies that are there that are making chips for us. But we got to hedge our bets here and we got to invest. This is going to be very good. If nothing happens in Taiwan, it's going to be good for global infrastructure in terms of um, reducing reliance on any one area. Even if Taiwan is not taken over, it'll help the pricing of chips. Competition is always good and, and more resource. So what I was, as I was reading this, I was thinking about it, and it really made me think about kind of the small businesses in America, about how you can become reliant on another, um, on a supplier really easily and you have to be paying attention to what's up with that supplier. Costs could go up, they could have union strike, there's all kinds of things that can happen. And this is that on steroids, as countries are realizing that government may be needed to help with this massive investment in chip making semiconductor infrastructure to, to help mitigate the effect of a Chinese takeover of Taiwan which we can see all over the weekend, Easter weekend, they were doing live invasion air drills that was making everybody knew it. They, the Chinese, were doing these live invasion drills over there, air drills, preparing to take Taiwan back. Or they're just out there, you know, rattling the saber, as they say, you know, um, 
it, but it's, it's, a, it's a little nerve-wracking when you see that. So this is basically countries saying, hey, we're going to help our countries and our so companies that are here invest in semiconductors so it's there. And the corollary is it doesn't have to be a, a war that China may start to go take Taiwan for you to look at your company and saying, who is out there that I need to mitigate in terms of a key supplier? Is it raw materials like plastic beads that you melt down to make your products? Is it raw aluminum? What is it? It could be anything. Uh, what's interesting is um, I happen to know something about the music industry. And there's all kinds of chips that are in music instruments now, synthesizers, pedals, amps. There's, you know, they have chips everywhere. And they have companies out there that have been running around during COVID trying to find uh, companies and folks that are maybe willing to build certain other chips that are gonna help mitigate supply pinches. And there's a lot of those going on now. And these are two, three, four million dollar, like a pedal company or a small boutique amp company. It's all in there. And um, speaking of amp companies, amps rely on these things called tubes. And there's only a few places in the world that make tubes. One of them's in the middle of Russia. And so what happens if you lose access to that? So this really comes home pretty quick when you think of yourself and saying, what do I need to do in my company, my life, to make sure that I am you know, ready for you know, uh, a shortage in, in supply except at some point? And so that's what I thought in terms of the chip, the chip situation. So... You know, there's a couple things that you can you can look at in there. And um, what I really thought, you know, as I was reading and doing all this over the weekend, it's just, you know, it's the emphasis on how much time do people spend planning, right? And planning is such a big thing for the entrepreneurs. You know, if you they say if if you fail the if you fail the plan, you're planning to fail. And it just shows in this market, it's moving so quickly that the, the emphasis is on planning to a degree with the entrepreneur. You have to be ready. And so if you don't have like a number two in your business, your trusted number two, or somebody who's a go-to that you can not only bounce ideas off of, but you can sit there and say, listen, I need to go head down and I need to go talk to two more banks about credit lines. Hey, I need to just spend half a day here diving into some things because we, we could have some supplier issues. You know, I, I need to do this. You know what? I need to go through resumes because we've been working without a sales leader. I got to go find a director of sales, and so I got to do that. And so having trusted number two and number three in your business, even if you're a small million-dollar business, and that number two is just a bookkeeper that knows a lot about the business and can take a little off your plate, and that individual is available, this underlines just the importance that it is for frontline leaders having the ability to plan because this world is moving faster than any time I remember. As the biz doc sits back and I look at companies I was a part of in 2000, 2001, first game maker, first big legitimate multi-platform game maker for um, mobile phones. And I think about how fast things were moving for us. And I think about how fast things were moving you know, just in the, in the market for engineers that understood certain, you know, programming languages or environments that we were working in, man, I'll tell you, 
it just underlined for me just how critically important you know the planning the the the, the planning exercise was and I'll, I'll give you a couple of you know of examples so when all of that was going on you know wireless carriers are in the middle of merging and there used to be a do you remember singular do you ever remember singular the orange one had a little thing look like a, a, a jack you know there was singular there was small at&t there was t-mobile there was nextel you know your your mom or dad may have had a nextel phone they were great construction phones but they were all getting bought by each other in industry consolidation and we had contracts with each one to provide games and wonderful utilities for their customers through their they called it their their vending machine so they really basically it was a a menu where you could go in and pay by the game just the way that people used to buy ringtones <clears throat> and by having a diversity of relationships when the consolidation happened you know we were protected and you know when you think of that from the sales standpoint it was important also something else happened is there used to be two and three different uh, programming languages that were controlled by very large company. Microsoft had one, uh, Qualcomm had one, um, you know, Google had one. So this is before iOS. And because we had really good relationships and we were strategic, when one of those that was made, it was called Brew, and it was made by a company called Qualcomm. Big company, great company. But when they got out of that business, we had relationships everywhere else. So suddenly we didn't have to program and have software engineers dedicated to that. And now we were focused on, on the ones that would win. So when you have a broad view and you've made friends everywhere, when it comes down to this, um, you are planning to win. And uh, as they say, you know, you know, armies and governments may spend weeks and weeks and weeks um, you know, building battle plans. But they say no battle plan survives the first 30 minutes of actual war. But he who has spent the most time, or she who has spent the most time planning, is ready because you've been doing running all these scenarios forever. So I think what it's, um, I think what's really interesting right now is that we have uh, a tremendous opportunity, you know, to build a new generation of strong leaders who are spending their time you know, in active planning. And so I think that's a lesson, a lesson for all of us. And when you're talking about banks, you're talking about software, you're talking about that, that's your, sp you're spending the time. And so I, I've seen that come up again and again and again, you know, of all the stuff that I read this week. So, you know, are we ready? Can we, um, can we, you know, sorry, I was asked about something else. So if we were, asking ourselves if you were ready for a next wave in your industry, sit down and do scenario planning. Sit down and work that um, with, um, with your folks. So we're gonna do, in a couple minutes here, we're gonna come invite Merrily Kick to join us. And I'm really looking forward to this interview. It's, we're really in, gonna, I think get a lot out of what she's got to bring here and the, and the stories and the journey that she has had. Um, one thing that I'd like to just flag is if you've got questions, bring them forward. And I think there's a couple, um, you know, uh, uh, points of focus that people have asked about. You know, so the, the issues that we find every week, you know, 
give us hints, give me ideas, because I'd love to take more things week to week. Uh, topics that you want to cover and that are going to, you know, as I like to say, leave you better than I found you. So that much I appreciate. In fact, a week ago, people were asking about um, credit unions. And I did a little bit more on this. So let me follow up on this. That I found really interesting. And what I was reading was that, you know, the number of people that have had access to credit unions has been rising. So as a business owner, if you've got access to a credit union, thanks to maybe whether it was military service or something else, or there's a local credit union that has sort of open agency that allows people to come in, then, you know, that, you know, I was looking up the, um, the rates and the credit union rates right now, I saw them even this past weekend look more competitive than the core banking rates. And that was like on refis or small business loans. So I thought that was very, very interesting. And that was a question that came up. What do I think of credit unions? So thank you for that question, because it relates to what we were talking about in terms of planning and big banks, as well as venture capital is credit unions may be an opportunity for you to um, not just assume, well, I'm not, I'm not a member of some company with that, the Ford Motor Company credit union or something like that. There are regional credit unions that, are, that give you opportunities there as well. <clears throat> and so I appreciate that question. So keep the questions coming. You know, the Swiss Army knife, Kellyanne, goes, goes through those, the fine ones that we can bring up that we think are um, interesting. And so, and we got, got one fast question we'll do here, and then we're going to roll the merrily kick. Is the $105 billion, and what he's talking about is the difference in funding from the last two weeks of March to, to the prior four weeks, completely based on demand or some of that discretion of reserve holding out? Well, the answer is, I don't know the answer to that completely, but the emphasis in multiple articles I read was credit tightening. So this could be that the, the, the banks have access to the money, but they're tightening up who they're going to lend it to because as they look out there, they, like us, are focused on the, what's happening to the economy. Now, it's true that the Fed can step on the hose, but actually the Fed has had what they call the window open, which means that banks are able to get access to capital. So I did not see in all the write-ups that suddenly small or mid-tier banks, and that's the ones who would be most impacted, were having suddenly having the Fed step on the air hose so that they can't get to the capital. So I, I think that's answered to that. So appreciate the question. Always love the questions. And now says, and I've been looking forward to following up. I had the privilege of talking to Merrily Kick. You know, I think it was three, four years ago. And we did a beer in business, it was called, and we were in literally the back office where they had built this wonderful product demonstration set. It was a brick back wall. It was very cozy. It had these big chairs. And I got to talk to her, and I have been following, and my daughters have been following, because Merrily Kick doesn't know this. Um, I have been sharing with my daughter saying, you can be whatever you want to be. And Marilee's been one of my examples because she is succeeding in what has been a traditionally male-dominated industry. And so please welcome Marilee Kick. How are you? Hey, I am good. It's so good to see you, Tom. It's awesome to see you when we got together. And I don't know if you see, let's show the wide shot, show what we have here. It's a little early in the morning, but I'm sitting here with my... 
Don't know if everyone can see them with buzz balls. If they can't see them, I'll just hold them up this way. If you're not familiar with buzz balls, all you have to do is walk into your favorite wine and spirits store and they're there. And they're also there in, in other places. They're everywhere. They're even at the ballpark. Back in Dallas, you would be able to go to the, uh, to the ball game and there was one that looked like a baseball and it was at Texas Ranger Stadiums. Right. But these are really great quick drink in here. You know, did, you should have had like Easter ones. Maybe, maybe communion, communion could have been a really much more exciting. Maybe we get more of America going to church if you had the communion version of a buzz ball. <laughs> Celebrate Easter egg. weekend. So how are things with Southern Champion and buzz balls? What do you got going? Wow, wow. It, it's crazy. We've been growing like a weed. Um, you know, I, I never thought that it would turn into this, but it did, and I'm grateful for it. We've just, we are now selling in all 50 states and 24 countries, wow. and we're still expanding. We've grown 51% over the last year, year over year, and we're planning on growing another 50% this year. We've got 650 people. Um, and 500,000 square feet of manufacturing space. So one thing that's a little bit different about us is that we're vertically integrated. So we do everything in-house. We make the plastic containers, we screen print them, we manufacture them, we do the batching and prepping and production and then go help sell it. So um, yeah, it's just great. It's just such a fun job. It's a fun industry. You know, I love the story you told in this, and we have so many early stage entrepreneurs that watch uh, the PBD podcast, the Valuetainment content, and of course the BizDoc, yours truly. But can you give a super condensed version of actually trying to find someone to help you with this? And I know you have, there was a key mentor you found in the industry, got you to trade shows and stuff, but you went to China to talk about this because you weren't gonna take no for an answer and you had visualized that this was gonna be your brand essence, the buzz ball, the container, this was gonna be your essence. And so you went to learn about everything, about making these, about spoilage, about things. It was just such a magic. Can you share real quick the story of going to China because you weren't gonna take no for an answer and you were gonna find out how to do this? And this is your road to vertical integration, wasn't it? Right, yeah. So. Um, I went everywhere and asked people to help me make it, and uh, I was met with resistance. You know, it's like, no, if you don't have hundreds of millions of units, we're not interested in helping you. Um, and I just didn't have the cash flow to support that kind of volume, so or or the sales. You know, so um, I had a helper in China that was helping me do it, but I went over there with my son, and we found out how the buzz balls were made. Didn't know anything about injection blow molding machines or plastics production or how it all worked. Um, saw some scary things over there in China, but also learned a lot um, and learned how to create machinery that could do this same thing for us. So yeah, we brought everything in house. We also learned how to do the silkscreen printing on the containers too. Um, and, and all of this vertical integration has been key for me because when you have to rely on somebody else to create your product, you're just throwing an extra wrench in your supply chain and, um, it just gives you less control. So, um, that was one of the key drivers of, of our business profitability is being vertically integrated. That's fantastic. So a lot of businesses wanted to wait out the pandemic. I just got to get through it. Maybe I can get a little bit of, um, um, what were the loans that you could get from the, the small SBA? Wasn't it a, 
It was a special class of loan. There were PPP loans. There were um, employee retention credits. There were mm, other loans that you could get for supply chain at the port. Um, They were not really loans. They were almost grants, you know, like free money. But a lot of people were looking for that, Marilee, because they were just trying to survive and just get through the pandemic. You've just come off growing 50% in what many people call the out year. 2022 is the year that we kind of got out of most of the pandemic. So you're growing 51% year, which meant that you were not you were not sitting on your hands in 2021 or 2020 when this all started. You know, what was key to working through the pandemic and growing a company during that time and just saying, you know what, damn it, I'm building because obviously that was your focus. And I've seen you featured at women's and leadership conferences. So I know there was a lot of things that were going on that you weren't giving up. But can you let people know what you did and what you were determined, maybe some some learnings and lessons where, again, well, you know what? Your, your, your autobiography could be, I didn't take no for an answer. I didn't take no on the buzz ball. I didn't take no on a pandemic. I wouldn't take no for an answer. But what did you do during there that has positioned you such for these back-to-back years of growth? Well, you know, um, COVID was no joke. It was terrifying, especially when it first was introduced. Everybody was scared, including me and, and my entire staff. We were smaller then. But my production team, it's very difficult to run a production team or a manufacturing plant if people don't come to work. Um, And I was told uh, that only essential businesses would be able to stay in business when COVID started. So, you know, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't know how much cash I can float to keep the place going without doing any production or any sales. Um, So I did my research on trying to figure out what makes a company essential you know, calling the police departments, the Chamber of Commerce, the mayor's office. Nobody would tell me what made a company essential. They were like, you know, if you're the police or if you are a um, um, healthcare worker. Okay, I got that. But what what else, you know? So um, I figured out that if I made hand sanitizer, that would make me essential. So my whole team came in and we created hand sanitizer. We didn't know how to create hand sanitizer. We Googled how to create hand sanitizer and got FDA emergency approval to produce it. So we gave away $500,000 of booze that was turned into hand sanitizer. And we gave that out to all the lab corps, all the hospitals in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, police departments, the SWAT team, the military, um, some of our customers like H-E-B, Tom Thumb, Albertsons, et cetera, um, we, we gave it to the convenience stores chains, you know. So, so that was one of the first steps into how to become essential. And my entire team worked for free and, you know, my office staff came in and made hand sanitizer. So that was kind of different. I had everybody at work, but what I didn't think about was I've got people at work that have little kids that need to go to school. So I started a school called The Nest and I hired a teacher certified um, aide and a, and a TEA certified teacher to man this conference room that I had. And all my, my employees that had little kids first through sixth grade would bring their kids and we would help them get online to their schools, give them a snack, help them with homework, until the end of the school day, because 
these people that work for me, they don't have nannies at home. They they have to make rent at the end of the month if they're going to work and they they don't have anybody to take care of their kids. So um, we, we created the nest, this little school. The other things we did was um, we kept people in business, kept them going, kept, um, we gave them bonuses, stay bonuses. Um, we filled their cars with gas. I remember my admin standing out in front of a, uh, of a gas station for the entire day, filling people's cars with gas. Um, we gave away free food. Uh, we pulled up three reefer trucks at Thanksgiving and gave away turkeys and hams and boxes of food and Krusty's pancake mix and, you know, things like that for Thanksgiving, peanut butter, jelly, bread, stuffing, um, you name it. So um, a lot of things outside the box that we did to um, help our people feel like this is a place called home um, and you know we tried to combat the labor shortages and then with all of the supply chain chaos you know how everything was locked up we had to pay for people to go get um, educated to be truck drivers because there weren't any truck drivers um, so we taught them how to become CDL certified um, so you know just things outside the box so that's what we did to keep moving through COVID and luckily, we didn't have a lot of debt. We have no debt, actually. So that was one of the things that um, kind of helped us keep afloat. And little did I know that booze is essential. I mean, it is so essential. <laughs> um, so uh, we were we were lucky that uh, events turned in our favor. <laughs> well, that's tremendous. And so, so you had employee loyalty that was like off the charts. And obviously, if you're working, you know, no one's going to look at you and say, Hey, can I work from home? Because we also had a time where, and I'm sure you've seen this, because uh, as a woman in leadership in the conferences you were at, I'm sure you've heard from other CEOs who maybe that were more white collar and they weren't like, hey, if you're working on an assembly line, you can't do that from home. The assembly line's here. You, yeah. you, you can't do that from home, obviously. But who had, well, I can get... 15% raise over there and they're gonna let me bring my dog to work and I only have to come in three days or it's full remote. And, and there was a lot of workers were kind of playing the card a little bit and, and weren't really, you know, they took the attitude as, well, businesses don't care about me. Well, sure, you know, maybe you can come to that conclusion, but you obviously were playing the cards differently. And it sounds like you had a lot of loyalty because remember the great resignation they were calling it and people left. Did this affect your business in a more positive way, I assume, when the resignation comes and we're recovering from COVID? Now you've got people that feel much different about their relationship with their job. I think one thing that's different about us is we're not a services business, we're a product manufacturing business. So, um, so people that had services businesses could get away, you know, a consulting business or whatever. Um, they could stay home and they did stay home. And they are not coming back to work. You know, they have gotten used to this life of working from home and having that freedom. Um, and, and many of them work two jobs. You know, their bosses don't know that they have two jobs going and they're, they're double dipping on that. Some of them have even faked to have um, unemployment, you know. So, I mean, it's crazy um, what you could have gotten away with then. But um you know, with me, it was it was a manufacturing and it was do or die. We had to make sure people were here in, in the office. And we did not um, allow our employees to work from home, even our office staff. 
we didn't say you guys out on the floor and the production floor, you have to be here, but the office staff, you can work from home. Uh uh-uh. Everybody's being in there and we made everybody get a COVID test and everybody to get a COVID shot to keep everybody safe, you know, because no one wants to work right next to somebody that has COVID. And, you know, so, you know, those were some hard decisions that we had to make. Um, and we were told that we would get fined if we did not have people that were uh, COVID immunized. So we did make sure everybody got COVID immunized. Um, and then, you know, after that, it kind of fell off after, you know, uh, uh, it became less important. We got kind of herd immunity from COVID. But um, I think that um, not allowing people to go home for an extended period of time was probably one of our better things that we did. Well, and the, the proofs and the growth. So the growth you just had, 50 so that was 22 versus 21. Mm -hmm. So what was, so obviously they were all, they were all ready to go, but what was the preparations like on the sales and the product side through 21 to put you in position to grow? Because you got a product, you got to have your sales team, you got to have your distribution. Mm -hmm. All of that has to, if you're making a product, it's not just, it's, it's not an online business where it scales in the cloud. This is physical scaling. There's got to be pallets of buzz balls getting here, there, and everywhere, and there's got to be 51% more pallets so you can grow. What did you? What was so good about 21 to set you up to have such a great 22? Well, luckily for us, um, the neighboring building came available, so we rented that and we scaled up. So it's it's like a constant juggling act, you know, of, okay, now I need more people. Now I need more warehouse space. Now I need more equipment. Now I need more people. Now I need more product now, you know, and it's constantly um, bobbling these things, you know, and making sure that they grow at an even rate. Um, so, you know, we got more warehouse space. We've, we've, we're actually doing more production, um, more, more space, more construction on additional warehouse space. Um, just so that we can grow. The other things we did too is because of the supply chain choke, um, we started bringing some more stuff in-house, including making the plastic containers ourselves, um, the preforms, having the resin, and you know, instead of outsourcing it with our equipment and having somebody else make it, we just decided we were gonna learn how to do it. So we have a warehouse that's just full of, of plastic creation of, you know, manufacturing the buzz balls and the biggies and, you know, learning how to do all that and and running these big ass pieces of machinery. They're huge, they're like spaceships. Um, but it's pretty cool to, to learn and um, to build these people's knowledges too. You know, just my employees are growing and learning so much. You know, I wanna ask a more delicate question here because that is, sure. I'm seeing the word, you just had to be flexible and opportunistic, right? Mm -hmm. And you were not going to be dictated to, right? And I agree with that. Many businesses said, hey, you know what? We're gonna, okay, we'll put up plastic barriers. We'll do what we can. We'll have hand sanitizers. We'll have, you can check for COVID. We'll get get home checks here, but you're coming to work and we're we're here to work and we're gonna figure this thing out. And it really sounds like it's like that wasn't dictating. It was like, hey guys, if we want a job when this is over, then we got to find a way to keep manufacturing doing things now. And so you made hand sanitizer and other things, and then you didn't create an us and them. 
you know, the office side of the staff, they were in the office just like the people that were in the, the physical plant. And that sounds... And I think they felt good about giving away hand sanitizer. I mean, you don't know how many people called me and said, hey, I'll buy every ounce of hand sanitizer so that I can resell it. And I said, no, this stuff is going away for free. We're, we're giving this away, you know, because it's the right thing to do. Because a human crisis is really important, you know. You don't want to uh, make light of it and make a profit off it. You know, it's not like that. It's like humanity is in the balance here, or at least we thought. Yeah, well, and we saw what um, uh, Amazon allowed, um, and I'm saying that out loud, Amazon allowed gouging of hand sanitizer. You could go find people that had bought bulk hand sanitizer at Costco and were turning around tripling it and selling it on Amazon, taking advantage of, of, of their resources to deliver it. And, you know, they're, they're, I think in the name of the human crisis we were having, um, perhaps Amazon could have stepped in and, and helped a little bit. But I applaud what you were doing because not only is it helping the community, it's what your people feel. Who's coming first? The next person that needs a hand sanitizer is getting it for free. And so it just kind of tells people how you feel about people and how you feel about mankind. And it, I think what it sounds like is it just develops this different mindset inside the culture of the company. Our culture is really good. We have a very low turnover rate. Um, and I think people feel good about working here. They like their job. They like coming to work. And, and I've heard many people say, I don't feel like it's a job. I feel like I'm coming to my second home and it's actually fun. And they don't look at the clock. You know, they're, they're not looking at the clock going, oh, my gosh, it's already 1030. You know, it's and, you know, it's not, you know, the day's dragging forever. They they hustle through their day. You know, they just hustle. And I never look out on the warehouse floor and see anybody walking slowly. You know, that <laughs> that would be the death of a manufacturer. Uh, you know, people are hauling, you know, they're working hard. What would you say? And I asked you this uh, four years ago when we talked, but what would you say is the best single piece of advice you've got? And I know you had um, some really, really good mentors that came out of the, the old world of um, uh, uh, spirits distribution. And you told me about a couple of them. Has that expanded over these last yeah. four years? And what is the best single piece of advice do you think you've received? Well, um, one of the things that's changed since I, I talked to you last is I hired the guy that was my first buyer of the Buzz Balls. He's our VP of sales and um, he knows everybody in the industry. So his network is vast and it's much wider than what I had. Um, I could cast a net, but it would be just a handful of people that I knew that I had built a relationship with. But he knows everybody because he's been in this industry for a long, long time. I also hired a lady that had been at Constellation Brands um, in the same industry working in shopper marketing. So um, just adding the, the, the quality of talent um, and their network was huge. I guess in terms of, um, you know, like what advice I would give is network and don't expect anybody to be in the driver's seat other than you. You know, you can um, set the strategy, set the goals, um, but you have to drive it. And if you expect somebody else to drive it for you, you're wrong. You're not going to, uh, in a smaller company like mine, you know, you need to drive. 
and you need to make sure that it, um, you know, that goals are obtained. I think I hear a fire alarm or something going off in the background. I don't know if you can hear it or not. Can you hear it? No, I can't. Okay, good. Perfect. There you go. Well, as um, long as they don't put it out with whiskey, don't put it out with the good stuff. <laughs> you know, I want to ask you something. Um, and again, I, and I alluded to it earlier. I have a daughter who's about to go to college. And there's a lot of discussion around, they say, women need to be provided opportunities. But I heard a real world example oh. from Rice oh. University. And I want to share that. And I want to get your perspective on it. Because you've done so much as a woman in a male-dominated world, and not because you're a woman, because you're a great founder, you're a great CEO, and you've achieved something, and you, you made it happen. Nobody gave you a free pass because you were a woman. Yeah, yep. and I think that, I think that uh, you know, saying that women need to be provided opportunities is the wrong way to say it. I think that women need to take opportunities and they need to build and become the very best at their craft. You need to learn every single thing and be the expert. You need to know it better than anybody else. And if you're the expert in anything, it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man, you're gonna be respected because of what you know and because you are um, leading the trail, you know? So I think that handouts are not the right way to go in, you know, for any kind of discussion. I mean, there's no quota on women or, or races, the quota should be on how much you can learn, how much you can do, what you provide a value to your company and to your people. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'll share an example, which is um, that, that is exactly what you're shining a light on. Uh, Rice University, a small college down in Houston, Texas, those of us who are yeah. you know, ex-Texans or current Texans know this, they have the number one sports management and sports analytics program in the U.S. And of course, you can imagine how that's grown with Moneyball and all the things that we've seen happening in sports where analytics is so key to building teams nowadays. But apparently it was awareness. And they were thinking, how do we give girls opportunities? Do we look at the applications differently? Do we try to encourage? And no, no. you know what happened? It was program awareness because of some visible role models. And it was the general manager of the Miami Marlins baseball is a woman, Kim Ning, and the president of business operations for the Marlins is a woman. And the visibility and some articles got shined on that where simultaneously there was awareness of the number one rating for Rice's University sports management, sports analytics program. And they said those two things coming together, apparently in one article or two articles that were close together resulted in a 30, excuse me, a 10x interest in people reaching out to the dean saying, hey, I'm considering applying to Rice. Can you tell me more about this program? So that it was a 10x increase in women. So it's exactly what you're saying, taking the opportunity when you know it's there, not people out there trying to peddle, you know, a favoritism or, a, a, you know, a free ticket. Yeah, it has to be earned. And the other thing I would advise parents nowadays to do is to have these mentors, these women mentors in your daughter's and son's lives. Um, you know, Disney teaches us that, you know, the man is going to work and get any girl he wants and drive a, a fast car and make all this money and retire by the time he's 30. 
and then the girls have um, this this thing that they need to have a fairy godmother. They need to have somebody, some magical something or other that turns them into a fairy or a princess or a something so that they can be rescued by a man who's going to take care of them all the rest of their lives. I mean, this is Disney rules, except for now Moana. You know, she's she's tough. But, uh, you know, I, I really think that we need to get this book called um, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls and read that to our kids, boys and girls. It's like one-pager uh, mentors of women that are in our past because if you ask a little uh a little boy like who his mentor is it's going to be like some sports hero or the president of the united states or something like that you ask uh, a guy who his most you know uh, who who the best female mentor was in his life he's going to say his mom you know his mom you know or his grandma you know i mean but i mean why don't we expand that network for women, for little girls, for guys, so that they know that there's some badass women out there that do stuff, that take care of business, and they're in the shadows. They are in the shadows because that's the way it's always been. But we don't have to keep them in the shadows. You know, they can be tough, they can be smart, they can drive, they can do this stuff, and they can do it really well. And I think that, um, just bringing those mentors to the table, making people aware and communicating that can help change the future and sculpt these kids uh, for the future. Well, I love what you said because I'm a big believer in awareness and an opportunity on the table, not quotas and favoritism, which is an artificial correction. You know, there's, there's one side of the aisle that, you know, may want artificial corrections so we can declare victory. But I don't know that that, that builds long-term positive change in a lot of lives. No, it's, it's disingenuous. You know, you need to make real change, and it needs to at the grassroots level. Awesome. So parting shot, and I ask everybody this, what do you see happening in 2023, 2024? Not politically, I'm not going to go there, but I mean the economic forecast. What are you seeing? People are worried about recessions, worried about that. You as a business leader, you're out there, you're and your salespeople are talking to buyers all across the U.S. at all kinds of chains, and you probably have a pretty good finger on the pulse. What do, you, what do you see for the rest of 23 and 24, and what are you challenging your team and your business to do about it? Um, we will uh, grow again by another 50%. We will be up to 30 countries by the end of this year in terms of international expansion. Um, we plan on opening this new production space so that we can double our output to keep up with demand. Um, it, you have to think two, three years down the road in terms of expansion of equipment and warehouse space and getting it all ready. So it takes time to get all that ready. Um, the other thing is, you know, we're staying debt free. Um, I just want to always keep an eye on my on the checkbook for the for the company and making sure that we are healthy all the time just in case something crazy comes out so overall the horizon looks really good for us and um growth is in the forecast and we just you know hope to keep on keeping on keep on swimming well uh, on behalf of everybody here at value team and i just want to thank you for 
for being here because these are pearls of wisdom. There are men and women at all levels of the entrepreneurial scale that watch, that ask us questions because they just want to build, build their business a little bit better. And you've given them a lot for there. And then maybe when they go home in the evening and they want to just chill out for a little <laughs> bit, maybe they grab a buzz ball, not too many, and just to kind of enjoy yeah. the evening and everything. So um, I thank you so much for being here. It's great to see you again. And it's great, great to see you your success. And I'm going to come see you when I'm in, in Dallas. <laughs> do you still have the, 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 the brick wall and the little place where you would sit there and do your product videos? Barn. Yeah, we've, we've still got the bar and still uh, we've expanded. So you're going to love the new bar. It's bigger and better. It's wow. awesome. When we're in Dallas, we will come see you. So All right. Thank, thank you so you, much. Tom. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, if you don't get something out of that, you're just not paying attention. Um, <laughs> It's just amazing. You can see the growth of the business. But more importantly, we've been talking a lot. We've been getting a lot of questions from people, haven't we, Kellyanne, about the economy, about the dollar, about things that are happening. And what's very, very interesting to me is what she just said. And what she said, what are we doing? We're going to double our output. We're going to increase it to 30 countries. And we're going to grow 50% this year, but we're going to do so debt-free and we're going to watch our checkbook. Yeah. So what she's saying is despite what's happening in the economy, despite their growth, they're not going to go crazy on debt and, and go pull a bunch of stuff in. And I think that is really interesting and really positive feedback. Well, you know, if, if you like hearing from Merrily Kick and you want to hear from a particular entrepreneur, let us know. Drop some names in the comments. Who would you like to hear from that would be meaningful for your business, that would give you insights as you grow and you try to, to build forward? The, the things that I think that are really interesting, I think are that are beneficial to, to you and me, you know, you may see some elements that you really think would be able to, to, to help your business and perhaps it's a, a particular company or somebody. So I think what's really interesting that you just heard a real world example. So all the analysis and all the things I do, you just heard an absolute real world example from somebody that is out there and they are building a business and responding to it mm -hmm. and what they did. And I think the story of what happened during COVID, moving to make hand sanitizer, to make the, the, the company feel like it's a real family so that when they came out of that, Man, they had momentum and they were ready and they had it, they were all driving it. And so I, I think that's just absolutely tremendous. So looking forward to hear about who you want to hear from. And for that, I think we are we are wrapped, and that is this week. And I thank you so much for being here. I hope this was helpful. Throw comments in there who you'd like to see next time. Love to hear about that. Love any questions. I answer as many as I can. But until next time, this is Tom Ellsworth, the BizDoc, on the BizDoc podcast from Valuetainment saying, I hope I left you better than I found you. And check us out. We've got a lot of additional resources for you. We've got the Vault Conference coming up this summer. You won't want to miss. And then the PBD podcast and a plethora of other how-to videos and things so that we at Valuetainment also, on a grand scale, leave you better than we found you. See you next time.